Hey there, thank you for watching online with us today with literally people from all over the world. We're so thankful you've joined us. We hope that these messages are a blessing and an encouragement to you in your walk with Christ. However, these messages are only meant to be supplemental. They are not to take the place of a local body, a local church, or a local pastor. And so, if you live in the Middle Tennessee area, please come to one of our local campuses, connect with us, worship with us, and be a part of that local gathering. If you aren't near the Middle Tennessee area, reach out to us via Facebook or Instagram or email. And we want to connect you with a gospel-centered, Bible-believing church near you that's going to help you to find life and live sin. Again, thank you for watching online with us today. We're prayerful that these messages are a blessing in your walk with Christ. God bless you and thank you for watching. On to John 7. Hopefully you've gotten there in your scriptures. If not, it, it'll be on the screen here in a moment. Uh, you know, on, John, on, uh, on June 30th, 1945, the USS Indianapolis uh, was fired upon by a, a Japanese um, torpedo, and it was hit. And it took the ship 12 minutes to sink. Uh, there was 1,200 people on board. 300, uh, men, 300 people went down with the ship. Uh, so 900 were in the water, uh, and by the, they were in the water four days, five nights, and by the end of it, only 316 had survived. And, uh, you know, one of the survivors, the chief medical examiner on, on the ship, uh, recounts the story, and he says many uh, were taken by sharks, but most uh, were taken by dehydration. Uh, that, that, that here's this chief medical officer uh, pleading with these men not to drink the water. Uh, but they, the sun beating down on them day after day, drifting in the middle of uh, endless water from which you cannot drink. So, so you can understand, put yourself in that situation, the temptation for you to say, I'll just have a little bit. Surely a little bit will quench my thirst. Surely a little bit will satisfy. But it didn't. And many would drink the, the, the ocean water, the salt water, and they would begin to become more dehydrated. They, uh, many of them lost their minds, and then they lost their lives. And uh, so you can imagine just this being, you know, I don't know about you. I've never been that thirsty. I've never been that thirsty. There, there are three kind of stages of thirst that, that psychologists uh, point out. There's regular, you know, normative, ordinary thirst, which we experience, right? We, we, uh, if we have too many cups of coffee by lunch, we're like, man, I need a little water. I'm a little parched, you know? So it gets a little normal thirst. Then there is... Um, um, Temporary intense thirst, and then there's sustained excessive thirst, which is this so desperate to drink that you would drink anything. Whatever you can get your hands on, that you will, you will drink it uh, to try to satisfy that, that, that craving. And so today, as we continue through the Gospel of John, Jesus is going to use this picture of physical thirst to really preach on this idea that we all have spiritual thirsts that only Jesus can quench. 
We all have this, this excessive, intense spiritual thirst that, that we run to a lot of different things to try to, to try to satisfy that thirst, and it never satisfies, and there's only one thing that can satisfy, and that's Christ and Christ alone. And so Jesus uses this analogy to teach us that we need him more than anything else. And so we're going to dive in to the scriptures. We're going to read 37 through 39 first. So if you'll read with me. 37, on the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the spirit whom those who believe in him were to receive for as yet the spirit had not been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. All right, let's talk about this for a minute. Now, over the past two weeks, uh, Jordan two weeks ago and then CJ last week did a great job preaching through John chapter 7 and really expounded upon this, this feast of booths, right? This, this is kind of the scene of John 7, this, this uh, week-long celebration, remembrance of what God did for his people when they were wandering in the desert. And he took care of them. He brought water from rock. He, he, brought, he rained down bread from heaven. His manna on, uh, on the ground every morning when they woke up saved the Sabbath. And they had double portion the day before that. And so God taking care of them was this celebration of, of this week-long celebration remembering uh, th that time. And so what they would do, you know, um, obviously uh, they, th it's called Feast of Booths. So th what they would do is they would tent, basically. They would camp uh, in these tents for a week long and uh, to, to remember the, the people of God wandering in the desert. Right? Now, remember, the people of God were wandering in the desert because of their disobedience. They came to the edge of the promised land. They went in and spied it out, came back, and they were scared. They said, we can't go. We're not going to do it. And God says, fine. All of you are going to die in the desert. And they wandered around, which, you know, in 40 years, uh, you know, what was about a 250-mile trek. But for 40 years, they're just wandering in the desert till an entire generation dies because of their disobedience. Then he takes the younger generation into the promised land to do what he wanted to do to begin with. And so the people of God are remembering how God took care of them, even in the midst of their disobedience, took care of them in, in the desert. And so everybody's gathered up uh, celebrating um, the, 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 the festival of booths. And so on the last day uh, of the festival, it was, it was super significant. So every day for a week, they would do all these different things. And so they would wave Palm branches in one hand, fruit in the other hand, signifying that they had reached the promised land, these kinds of things, and that they were saved. God had saved them. Uh, they, the, the priests would come out and blow these shofars, these huge horns, that, just in celebration of, of what was going on here. And then there was this ritual where uh, one of the high priests would go and with this golden uh, pitcher, basically, and, and get water from the pool of Shalom. And they... Uh, uh, Siloam, sorry, and they would come and bring it to the altar and pour out this water on the altar, signifying God bringing water from the rock, that God took care of their, uh, their physical needs by giving them water from, from the rock. At the same time, another priest would take wine in another golden pitcher and pour it out on the other side of the altar, representing the promise of God bringing them into the promised land, but ultimately uh, uh, 
signifying to them uh, the Holy Spirit coming uh, and, and well, we take it as coming as this future promise that he's, he's, he's coming, he, he's quenching us, he is, he is um, uh, bringing blessing, wine represents blessing, that's why the scripture says we will drink wine uh, with Jesus in heaven, I know that offends some, some old school Baptists in here, but we're going to drink some wine with Jesus in heaven and so th- these two wine and water being poured out on the altar representing both the the uh, God, God's provision and his promise for his people. So you have all this going, going on. And then uh, while he's doing that, uh, the priest would recite, the water priest would recite, with joy you, uh, this is Isaiah 12, 3, with joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. And then Isaiah 44, 3 says, for I will pour out water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour my spirit upon your offering and my blessing on your descendants. So these are the two representations, the water and the wine, representing the provision and, and the blessing to come. So they would do this, the, the whole lot of things going on. The, they, they would sing the halal, which just means hallelujah. It's the the Psalms of praise, Psalm 113 through 118, they would sing these Psalms, these Psalms of praise. And, and, uh, and all of it was just a remembering of God providing for them, taking care of them, giving them food when they needed food, giving them drink when they needed drink, right? And, and, and so what John is doing in this text is he's making it clear that Jesus is the fulfillment of the festival of booths. That, that Jesus is the fulfillment, that, that Jesus is really what they're celebrating without even really realizing what they're celebrating. Like he is the, wa- the rock from which water comes from. He is the living water. He is the bread of life. He, he is the one that, that holds us, that sustains us in him and from him and through him. And all things, all things hold together in Christ. And so he is the celebration of the, of the Feast of Tabernacles or booths, right? And so now that you have kind of that, that context, it's on that last day when the, when the water and the wine are poured out that Jesus says, he's, he's preaching in this kind of courtyard, all these people are there. He says, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Now, in verse 37, actually, it says that that word is, it says cried out. Basically, Jesus is yelling here, hey, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He's he's inviting them to come and drink of Christ, to come and be satisfied by the living water, right? And, and, And he's saying, hey, as you remember God taking care of you with food, with bread, manna in in the desert, as you remember God bringing water from the rock, realize I am he. I bring you water, living water, that'll, like John 4 talked about, uh, that, will, that, that will, you will never thirst again. I'm the bread of life and the bread of heaven. Feast on me. So he's encouraging people, as you're doing these symbolic things, look to me. I'm the one who can only, I'm the only one who can truly satisfy your soul. Now, a couple things here. One, they live in a desert climate. Uh, they would have known thirst more so than we know thirst, right? Like uh, they, they just know it in ways that we don't, we don't know it. Like we turn on a faucet and we can 
we're actually so snobby, we won't drink that water. We'll go to our fridge to, you know, psh, you know, I take my nukes cup and I go over to the fridge and I put it up to get ice cold water, right? And uh, like we have water flowing abundantly. This morning, most of us uh, sat under a shower. There's water raining down upon us, uh, you know, and we, we, so we live in a culture that they didn't live in. They, they, they didn't live in a culture like that. Uh, drinking water was, was a premium. You know, this weekend, my son ran around in a sprinkler on a trampoline. You know, like they, they would have they would have been mad at us for the, you know what are you doing like you can drink this water now I know some of you are too snobby for hose water but that's what that's you know it's what I grew up on right uh, half my drinks were hose water um, but uh, man so they live in this culture that would have known thirst like we like we don't know thirst right and uh, and, and as you can imagine they were well acquainted with all three stages of, of thirst and uh, and so water was was precious uh, I mean you had to have water to have life right and, and that's why Jesus often uses the the picture of drinking and and thirst uh, because it would have resonated very clearly with them, more so than it does in, in our culture. Uh, now, the three words, the three verbs in this passage, um, I think make clear what it means to believe, the, the thirst, come, and drink. Uh, so the first one is thirst. This one is huge, in my opinion. To, to, to understand what it means to believe upon Jesus, uh, you, you have to thirst, and you have to know that you are, are, are thirsting. Now, now, let me be clear. Uh, to thirst means you have to be aware that you have need. Like when, when we're thirsty, when our bodies um, thirst, it, it begins to give us signs that we need to drink something, right? You know, whatever that, that may be. Or we just have that, this feeling or maybe our mouth is dry or, or whatever. We're just feeling, you know, we just have to go get some, some water. Our bodies tell us, hey, you've been drinking six cups of coffee. You need to dilute some of that with some water. Go get some water, right? Our bodies kind of tell us. If our bodies didn't tell us that we have a thirst need, we would die of dehydration. If it didn't alert us, if it didn't tell us, if it didn't, uh, you know, jar us to go drink water, we would die because we didn't know we had the, the need, right? So in the same spiritual sense, uh, like you can't be saved unless you first know you're lost. You can't be saved unless you first know you're lost. You can't be redeemed unless you first understand that you're enslaved to sin. You, you can't come alive to Christ unless you first understand that you were dead. Now, this is a problem a lot of times in, in American uh, church culture because oftentimes people will say, oh, they would just add church on to their life and think that's what they're supposed to do. Like if I just add this kind of church culture mentality, I'll put on a, a button up or I'll put on a polo and I'll go to church every Sunday and I'm a good person because I do this and I pay my taxes and I don't rob people and I, you know, whatever. And I, I'm going to be okay with God, but that's, that's not, that's not true. The first step in us coming to Christ is realizing that we need him. The realizing we don't have him. The realizing if we continue not having him, we will die. We will die of spiritual thirst. And, and so 
um, this is why the scriptures often point us to see that we were dead. Like Ephesians, the beginning of Ephesians talks about, in Ephesians 2, it talks about you were uh, dead in your sins and trespasses. Romans 3 says there is no one good, no, not one. No one seeks for God. And so we have to first come, when I remember when I first came to Christ, uh, m- m- the thoughts that went through my head was I had never really considered God, r- really. I never really considered God being uh, someone that, that made me, that I was uh, accountable to or responsible to. And so, so uh, I came to this realization that if there is a God, then I, I've just been my own God. I've been, been doing my own thing. And so the first thing that came into my mind and heart was, if there's a God, I'm, I, I'm, I'm done. I, I have no hope. I, I'm, I'm behind the eight ball here. I'm, I'm, and, and so then I begin to realize, okay, yeah, that's true. I am lost. I, I need a savior. I need him. I, I have this need in my life for salvation, to, to drink from living water. But it first came from a realization that I didn't have him, that I was lost, that I, that I was enslaved to sin, that I was my own God, that I didn't put him as the, you know, Lord of my life. And so the first step, and this is why when I was in Thailand too, when you would share the gospel in a culture that has no, um, no cultural Christianity or cultural understanding of, of the Bible. And so you'd have to start at the very beginning that God is the creator God. And he created these people. And all these, there was a standard that God has and every, an expectation. And all humanity broke that expectation, failed to meet that expectation. And so because God loves, he sent his own son to meet that expectation for us. So those who trust in him have the expectation of God met through Jesus and come along in Christ, in Christ alone to be saved and, and get to enjoy the fruits of heaven forever. But to realize that you have broken the expectation of God and there is no hope of you for recovering, save Jesus. So understanding that to be saved, you have to know you were lost. To be free from sin, you have to realize you were a sinner. And it's the danger in our Bible Belt culture is to, to think that you would be okay with a little more churching, do a little less cussing, you know, wear pastel on Easter, clean up your Facebook, then you'll be all right. No. Christianity is not come and improve yourself. Christianity is come and die. Come to Christ. Come give everything. And so you have to begin to understand that you are thirsty. I want to read you a couple of scriptures here. Isaiah 55, 1 says, Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Revelation 21, 6, To the thirsty, I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. You have to realize you're thirsty. You have to realize that you are thirsty for the things uh, to, to be satisfied by Christ and Christ alone. Uh, when I give an invitation uh, for people to be saved or, or when you share the gospel, if, if someone is there, the, the only way someone's going to come is if they understand that, that they are thirsty and they're coming to quench that thirst on Christ. They're not going to come if they're not 
they don't, if they're not thirsty or realize that, they're, that they are thirsty, right? And so the next two, so you have thirst. The next two I'm going to put together, uh, come and drink, which is our bottom line for today. Come and drink. Um, and so in Luke 9, 23, it talks about if any man will come after me. So come and drink. Any man can come and drink, right? You, like you realize your soul's dying of thirst. You repent of your sin. You run to Jesus as your only source of satisfaction. This is the way unto to be saved, right? Uh, like you have to understand you have thirst and then come have that thirst quenched on Christ. When I played uh, high school football, it was a different day back then, right? Uh, and, I, you know, some of you are like, boy, you had it good. But back then, coaches would be fired for stuff that they did if they were to do it today, right? Uh, a good example of that is, um, you know, our, we, we had this thing called a horse trough, that's what we called it. Basically, it was the garden hose. Again, this is like the theme of uh, hose, hose water drinking. A garden hose hooked to this PVC pipe, right, that had holes drilled into it, right? And maybe once in the middle of practice, we would have a water break, and then one at the end of practice. But he would say, all right, go get water break. And because we're out, you know, and again, we had, I climbed the hill in the snow, both uphill both ways, you know, this whole, whole deal. But, you know, we had two a days in the middle of the, you know, at noon, you know, teams today are practicing early morning, late at night. I'm like, you big sissies. Like I practice out in the heat. You know, you were lucky to have a heat stroke back then because you got out of practice. Right. And so, so he would say, hey, go for a water break. And we're just, yay. You're racing each other. We're, we're, you know, all fighting to get this water break. And we're grabbing that PVC pipe and wrapping our lips around this thing. And everybody's already put their lips on. We're, we're just dying for thirst. We want, we want water. So we're like, Ugh. yeah, we're wanting this water so bad. We're running for it, trying to grab a hold of it, right? And, uh, and this, is, this is the picture of those who are thirsty on Christ, say the, you know, the PVC pipe lip thing. But do we have that kind of desperation that we're running to Christ to have our spiritual thirst satisfied? This is what it looks like to be a Christian, to realize, man, without Christ, I'm, I'm damned. I have no hope. I have no peace or joy. I need him. I need him so bad that I will abandon all to run recklessly after him. I will throw aside every sin and weight which so easily entangles me to keep me from Jesus. I'm going to throw those things aside and I'm going to run after him to be satisfied by him. So when Jesus says, come, you come and you drink, this is not a casual, take your nukes cup up to the water. This is, give me all that I can get. I'm, I'm thirsty. I'm coming to the only one who can give me water that satisfies. I'm coming to the only one that can meet my spiritual need. Notice in uh, verse 38, it says, whoever drinks and believes out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. The world is full. The world is like that picture, this saltwater ocean, where there's plenty of places to drink, but they'll just leave you dehydrated and lead you to death. 
And the scripture says that those who have drank, believers, true believers, are to be rivers of water to a thirsty world. That, that if, we're, if we are believers, if we have drank of living, living water, we should be flowing out that living water. To, we're not the one who can save, but we're pointing to the one who can save. We're showing people where they can have sustained water drinking, sustained satisfaction in Christ and him alone. We're pointing the world to him. Like, like in old days, right, you would build a city on a river. Water was that important. That's why Nashville is built on the Cumberland. You would put it, like 42 of our cap nations capitals are all built on rivers. And so rivers flowing out is huge for life. And the scripture just said, as a believer, you are to be a river flowing out for the world to find life. That's who we're supposed to be as Christians. Now, some Christians are like ponds with no outlet. You know, you're just collecting scum and stink and algae and, uh, and then there's others that are like rushing waters, flowing out and pouring out to, to other people. Uh, you know, here um, it, it's saying that Christians are not just saved for themselves. You're saved for a purpose. You're saved to live sent. You're, you're not just given fire insurance so that you don't have to go, you get your get out of hell free card. But you were saved with, and given gifts for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of proclaiming Christ and being that living water to the world that is thirsty. You are saved for a purpose, uh, and your life matters in that. Um, and, and so in, um, in verse 39, John is making clear that we aren't uh, the ones who give the grace. It's Christ, but we flow out Christ out of our lives. We should be a people that because of the, the, the graces that he has given us, namely the Bible, prayer, fasting, the church, community with one another, uh, baptism, communion, th those things that he has given us, we well up with more and more in Christ and are able to pour out to a world. Now, some of us are welling, 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 welling up, and we're not pouring out. We need some spiritual draino in our lives. You know, we got a clogged pipe somewhere that we need to bust open so that we can pour out to the world. So he's saying that, man, we as believers, we're to be pouring out to the world the love and truths of Christ. And, um, and, and so let me read to you the rest of the scripture here, and then we'll uh, preach it. <laughs> Verse 40. When they heard these words, some of the people said, this really is the prophet. Others said, this is the Christ. But some said, is the Christ to come from Galilee? Has not the scripture said that the Christ comes from the offspring of David and comes from Bethlehem, the village where David was? So there was a division among the people over him. Some of them wanted to arrest him, but no one laid hands on him. The officers then came to the chief priests and Pharisees who said to them, why did you not bring him? The officers answered, no one ever spoke like this man. The Pharisees answered them, have you also been deceived? Have any of the authorities of the Pharisees believed in him? But the crowd that does not know the law is accursed. Nicodemus, who had gone to him before, in, in its reference in John 3, which we preached on, 
Nicodemus, who had gone to him before, and who was one of them, said to them, does our law judge a man without first giving him a hearing and learning what he does? They replied, are you from Galilee too? Search and see that no prophet arises from Galilee. All right, a couple of things going on here. First of all, there are four responses here uh, that are, 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 I think, typical to our day. Typical to Jesus' day, and I think typical to, to our day. And, and basically, we will all respond in one of four of these ways. Uh, one is that we, we, we will drink. The, you know, those who will run to Jesus, the source of living water, and they will drink from him, right? Those are the ones at the top of the passage that said, they said, this is the prophet. This is the Christ. So these are the people that have believed upon him. They've forsaken all. They've run to Christ uh, for him to, to save them, right? Uh, now, there was only a few. There was a remnant, which were promised in Scripture that uh, uh, there will always be a remnant of Christ followers. Uh, it may be large, it may be s- small, but there will always be some uh, until Christ comes back, until he returns. Well, Romans 9 through 11 tells us about that truth, too, that there will always be a remnant of followers of Christ. <clears throat> and uh, now, if you're a chicken little person, you know, following the climate of the church in America, you would say, it's dying, we're losing out, we're going to be post-Christian Europe before long, which we're probably going to head that way. <clears throat> but there will always be a remnant of believers. No matter uh, how small the crowd shrink, there will always be the faithful that will give all for the sake of Christ. And no matter what, there will always be a remnant that are following Jesus. Uh, so <clears throat> the first one is those that have drank. I'm going to take a drink right now. The second are those who rejected Jesus. They said, surely the Messiah is from, uh, isn't from Galilee. Basically, they're like, are you kidding me? Galilee, that hit town? There's no way our Messiah is coming from that. And haven't you read the scriptures? The scriptures say that he's going to come from the city of David, Bethlehem. Like, he, he's not going to come from Nazareth. He's not going to come from the Galilee area. He's going to come from, from, from Bethlehem, right? Galilee's backwoods, Bethlehem. You know, we're expecting him to come from, from Bethlehem. Well, he did come from Bethlehem, as you know. They didn't know. He was born in Bethlehem. He was brought in. Uh, Joseph and Mary were brought to Bethlehem because of a census. Uh, they birthed Jesus in Bethlehem. They had to flee for their life to Egypt for several years. And then they resettled in Nazareth, in the Galilee area of, of Israel. And so, uh, so he was born in Bethlehem, but he was from, he grew up in, in Nazareth, right? Now, one of the things that you'll find consistent in the people that reject Christ is that they reject his word. Or, or they, they, they will uh, try to find loopholes uh, around the word or the truths about, about Christ. And so here are, again, the Pharisees who are uh, misappropriately using the word of God to state a claim that Jesus is not the Messiah. And so they're, they're, they are misusing the word of God. This is a lot of what happens when people reject Christ. They misuse, uh, misappropriate the word of God. How that happens in our culture is they take the truths of God, they hear them, and they say, that can't be true. I'm going to do what I want to do. And so this happens in many different venues. It may be, you know, I don't believe that Jesus was born of a virgin. I'm going to not believe that part. 
uh, or when it comes to particular sins. We would say, I don't believe what the Bible has said about my particular sin. I'm not going to believe that for me. I can, I can believe all the other sins that he speaks to because those aren't my sins. Those are y'all's sins. But mine in particular, it's not, it doesn't apply to me. And so we take the word of God and we twist it. And by twisting it, we reject Jesus. You can't have Christ without holding true to the word of God. If you have a Jesus that's not the biblical Jesus, it's a Jesus that's imaginary. You have made him up in your head. And it's a Jesus that will not save you in the end. The biblical Jesus, holding to the truths of God's word is the only way for you to truly accept Christ, to truly be in him. And so here are a group of people who, who rejected him and, uh, and, and didn't uh, believe truly what the word of God said, said about him. The third, third type of person is the people that are wrestling with it. Uh, and uh, these aren't even necessarily people who are thirsty, which we'll get to at the, the fourth one. But they're, they're, they're wrestling with, they see something different about Christianity. They, they haven't been awakened to their realization of their own thirst, but they kind of cognitively see that there's something different about these Christians. Like, I work with this Christian guy. There's something going on with him. He's a little weird or something different than, than, than my life. And I, I, it's inquisitive to me. And so that's what you have going on here with this third group of people. When the soldiers went to arrest Jesus and they returned empty-handed, and the religious leaders said to him, why didn't you arrest Jesus? And the soldiers said to them, uh, have you heard him preach? We ain't heard anybody preach like that. We've heard y'all preach. <laughs> it ain't that good. <laughs> And so we've never heard that before. We're not arresting him. There's something there we don't want to mess with. And so the cognitive awareness that something is going on, wrestling with the reality that believers have a joy and a peace and a hope that the world just does not have. That we are drinking from living waters. We are being satisfied, not by the next iPhone, but we're being satisfied by Christ. We're being satisfied not by what we drive or the, how big our house is or what we, what we add to it financially, but we're being satisfied in the cross of Jesus. And so these people see that and they begin wrestling with, there's something different about Jesus, but the people that follow Jesus. And so they're wrestling. And then, and then fourthly, um, you see Nicodemus. Who, the fourth category, I would say, those who are, uh, are aware that they are thirsty, but they haven't drank upon Christ yet. They're aware that they need Jesus, but they haven't drank from him yet. And this is Nicodemus. Here's Nicodemus in the story. And like I said when I was reading the scripture, uh, we, we've seen Nicodemus before, right? If you remember in John 3, Nicodemus is coming to Christ by night because he doesn't want his Pharisee homeboys to see him sneak in to learn about Jesus. So he comes at night. He knocks on the door, uh, the back door of Jesus, where Jesus is staying. Jesus comes out and he begins asking Jesus questions. He's inquisitive. He's wanting to know more about him. He's, he's realizing he has a thirst that this Pharisaical religion Religiosity is not quenching, and he's coming to Christ because he thinks that might be where living water is found. And so he comes to Jesus and says, hey, Jesus, how might a man be saved? 
And Jesus says to him, well, that's easy. He must be born again. Of course, we're familiar with that term. Nicodemus is the first time he's ever heard it. Man must be born again. So he asked a natural question. Should a man climb a second time into his mother's womb? Ouch. And Jesus says, no, dummy. <laughs> it's a message version. <laughs> he says, no, you will be saved by uh, spirit and truth. There's coming a day, spirit and truth. There's, 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 there's coming, the, the spirit moves as it wills. It will save those. It doesn't matter the mountain you worship on. That's the next chapter. He, he goes into this whole dialogue about worship in the next couple of chapters in which Jesus says, the way you're saved is you come to faith in Christ and you're reborn spiritually. The spirit comes in and gives you new, new life in Christ. It satisfies you the thirst that you have. You were dead. The Spirit comes in and brings you to, to life, makes you reborn, a new creation in Christ. And so fast forward to John 7, Nicodemus is seeing Jesus brought, uh, being, being, being ridiculed by the Pharisees. And so he decides, like, he's not full in on Christ yet, but he's kind of dipping his toe in the water to, to a certain extent that he's going to say Hey, we can't kill a man before he has a fair trial. And his Pharisee homeboys say, are you from Galilee too? Basically, they're saying, you're not a Christian too, are you? You, you haven't sort of fallen the way of Christ too, have you? you? You're not truly believing that. Don't you know the Bible? The Bible that says the Messiah is going to come from Bethlehem. Don't you know the Bible? So here's a man who, thirsty, realizes his need. He hasn't jumped full on in yet. And he has everything around him pushing him away from drinking, from living water. That's how it typically goes. When you become aware of your spiritual need, you realize you need Christ. You have everything in the world hanging on clinging to you, not to forsake the way of the world. Keep drinking this ocean salt water. Keep drinking these things that won't satisfy you. Stay here. And all the while, you have the truths of Christ saying you will never find satisfaction there. Come to me and drink. Come to me and drink. Notice about Nicodemus from John 3 to John 7, it's two years. He walked away from Jesus, still thirsty, for two years. The invitation is for all. When Jesus says, come to me and drink, the invitation is for all. Are you thirsty? Have you been awakened to your realization that you need Christ? That you've been drinking from things that won't ever satisfy you? Fill in the blank. Social status, money, home, car, career, education. Those things won't satisfy you. There's only one 
that can say, come all who are thirsty, come and drink. And he actually give you water that satisfies. And that one is Jesus. And Jesus is the only one who can do that. He says, come, come to me, come and drink. Come, this is scripture says, come all who labor, who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I want to close with this Revelation twenty two seventeen passage, which I've read variations of this truth and other scriptures throughout here. But it says this, the spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. Church, maybe you've been drinking from empty wells or wells that, that, that are, have corrupt water in it that won't satisfy you. Jesus says, stop drinking from those. Come to me. I'm the only one that can satisfy you. You're not going to be satisfied in relationships, money, social status, whatever is in your head. You're not going to be satisfied by it. I'm the only one who can satisfy you. Come and drink. And don't just come haphazardly. Come with everything. Drop everything and you come and be satisfied in Christ. Whatever you're hanging on to. Like, I love Jesus, but I love this too. I'm going to bring this with me. I love Jesus, but I want to hold on to this. I'm not going to let go of this. Drop it all and come and drink. Drop it all. Come and drink. I'm the only one who can satisfy. Let me pray for us. Father, we... uh, We need you to come and continue just to make us more and more aware of our need of you. We live in a culture that is constantly uh, trying to to dull our our need, uh, our, our spiritual needs. And so a lot of times we push you to the side. Oh, I'll pick up Jesus later or I'll do this later. I'll worry about this later. And we lose our sense of urgency. We lose our sense of desperate thirst. And we're quenching our thirst on just junk ocean salt water. Sinful wells that will never satisfy. Sure, they may, may for a moment, take our mind off of our need, but the need comes back. And we might live from high to high to high the need comes back you Jesus are the only one who can satisfy fully and eternally and so Father we, we, I just want to reiterate the promise that you said anyone who thirsts come and drink I pray that we would be a church that is drinking that is gulping you. That is drinking heavily from the well of Christ, living water. 
I pray, God, for the soul in this room that does not know you as Savior. And that may happen in one of two ways. Maybe they uh, are trying to be satisfied. They're satiated by the things of the world. I pray you would open their eyes to a realization of their spiritual thirst. They don't even know they're thirsty. I pray you'd open their eyes to the spiritual thirst. And then secondly, there may be some in here that have, maybe they've grown up in church and they've got enough Jesus to be dangerous, but they don't have a relationship with him. It's just religion to them. And they never really drank from the well of living water. They don't have the fruit of the Spirit over their life. Sure, they've got a form of religion, but it has no power. God, I pray that you would bring water to their soul. Save them. Move in their heart in such a way that they realize their need and they realize that they've been drinking from the religious fountain, but they've never had a relationship with Christ. Move in us, God, to make us more like Jesus. Give us an aware desire that we need to drink from him. We love you and need you. In Christ's name we pray, amen.